Welcome to Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. My name is Aaron Dugan. You can follow me on Twitter at the Aaron Dugan or Instagram Aaron underscore Dugan. Socially distanced this week on the podcast. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody out there. A turkey week. Really, really big time guests today on the show. Kirk Herbstreit going to join us. And I guarantee you, Aaron, that the questions he will answer for us are not questions that he's answering anywhere else. So you're going to want to hear his answers about the committee, about pushing the schedule back, about you know what we can do to increase transparency in the sport. So sort of big picture stuff with with Kirk. I did. Uh, Cole Kubel going to join us as well. Played in the Iron Bowl, of course. Uh, so we'll talk with him as the Iron Bowl coming up this weekend. Rivalry. I don't know about you, Aaron. Rate, review, and subscribe to the show, please. Uh, I, I don't know about you, but I, I feel like this rivalry week, and we're going to have some fun today, but it, it just doesn't feel the same to me. I don't know. Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. We're going to talk college football playoff rankings. It just hasn't felt the same, and I guess that's par for the course in 2020. First of all, this is going to be a struggle for me because you know I have a really hard time saying rivalry week, so this is tough. <laughs> but right, do, do it Okay, do it three times right now. Rivalry week, rivalry week, rivalry week. That's I can't, pretty good. I can't, That's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, for me, yes. But I've also said it to myself like five times this morning just to see if I can say it. <laughs> Anyways, oh, you're right. It just doesn't feel the same, especially it's Thanksgiving weekend. I'm, you know, weekend to me, I always associate with, you know, my alma mater, our rival, well, our rivalry game. That's really. right, the, the Fringe Bowl. But it, it's supposed to be the last game. So you're right. When you, you know, you have all, you have, we have this so much football left to play and you're playing these big rivalry games in what feels like the middle of the season. For some teams, it really is. So you're right. You're right. It doesn't just, it doesn't feel the same. Yeah. I, Auburn, Alabama with like two more weeks of football <laughs> afterward doesn't feel right. It's just, it's odd. And it's, it's not just the SEC, it's everywhere in college football. So we'll, we'll get to some of the games again. We've, you know, Kentucky and Florida's intriguing. AM, LSU is, turning into a great rivalry with really dramatic games in the SEC. We'll get to some of that uh, as well. The Egg Bowl, those two teams, Aaron, could be winless. And I would watch every second of the Egg Bowl because it's just, they hate each other so much. And it just, almost, something crazy happens every time that those two teams play. Really does. And who do you think hates each other? Does all, do Auburn, Alabama hate each other more or Ole Miss, Mississippi State? I, I mean, it's, it's, Pretty close. Like, and there's not many that you could argue hate each other like Auburn, Alabama, in the entire country. I, I would actually put South Carolina Clemson in this category too. I think it's underrated in the you know vitriol. Oh yeah, the hate, hate there is high. You're you're correct. The vitriol there, but I you know your question is valid. I don't think there's an answer. Probably not. However, I will say just as a side note, when I was watching Bo Nix talk or do his press conference, um, he was talking about how Monday and out that Monday after the Iron Bowl always sucks so bad for one group of people. And he, he seems to think that it sucks worse for Auburn when they lose. No shock there. But he said, it's because everyone in the state of Alabama that's not an Auburn fan went to their random corner drugstore and bought a Bama t-shirt and wears it to school <laughs> on Monday and rubs it in your face, which I thought was hilarious because he was kind of like semi-trashing Alabama fans. But yeah, that would be a hard, a hard Monday after school. Maybe some of those kids will be happy they're remote. Is that like a low-key fashion dig at Alabama? Like you, sh you shop at uh, Dollar General instead of Nordstrom where I shop? <laughs> oh, my God. I'm not sure there's a Nordstrom around there anyway. I think it was more of a bandwagon fan dig. Ah, yes. It's what's so great about that game is they are their, their lives are more intermixed. And this is true about their, their lives on a day-to-day -day basis outside of football are more intermixed than any other like Michigan, Michigan State, again, if you're in state, it's probably like that. Ole Miss, Mississippi State, South Carolina, Clemson. If you're in the same state, like Ohio State, Michigan is probably the only rivalry on par with Alabama, Auburn nationally. There is some overlap, right? Northern Ohio, Southern Michigan, there's some overlap there. But it's not, it's not the same as like on a block by block, house by house, pew by pew, you know, row in your church. You know what I mean? Like this is the Auburn row in your church. This is the Alabama row in your church. So it, it, I'm still excited about the games. I cannot wait to watch them, but it just feels different this year. And the playoff rankings are out. So let's start there. We'll, we'll get to some, some rapid fire looking around the conference. And again, Cole Kublick and Kirk Herbstreit going to join us coming up in a few minutes. But the rankings came out. Alabama won. Pretty clear there, Aaron. Number two, of course, Notre Dame. Number three, Clemson. Number four, Ohio State. Then you get back-to-back -back SEC teams, Texas A&M at five, Florida at six. So a lot of SEC love there in the top six. I think uh, Georgia at nine, 
people were overreacting to Georgia being ranked high. I just thought that was silly on Twitter. And then Auburn at 22. So three really, really good teams. Georgia's pretty good. And Auburn, we're not really sure about. So that that's that, I didn't think there was too much. I wasn't really surprised by anything that happened in the rankings on Tuesday night. Some people were more heated than others about it. I heard a lot of backlash on where Notre Dame sat, which I didn't have the same passion towards that. And of course, a lot of being in a, in a community with a lot of SEC fans, I heard a lot of mad ones about Texas A&M and Florida, um, not one of them being in the top four. But to me, that has to do with their matchup against each other. Um, and, you know, everything could change with, with, just, one, with just one of those teams losing um, on this back end of the season. All of that could be different. Well, um, and I, I have Florida in my top four personally, but all you kind of, I have no problem with A&M being ahead of them. They won the game, but all you need to know about the state of college football, Aaron, is that the fifth best team in America out of 127 teams, however many there are that are playing this year, the fifth best team in America got beat by four touchdowns to the number one team in America. And if that doesn't show you, and I think a and really good. That's not a knock on a and I, I just think that shows you, A, how good Alabama is, and B, sort of the separation between the teams that I think can win the whole thing. You know, maybe it's, uh, to me, it's Alabama and Clemson, maybe Ohio State. But a- after that, I'm not sure. I don't think Florida and A&M, Georgia, I don't, you know, Cincinnati. Like, I'm, Cincinnati's not winning two games in the playoff. And this brings me to a question that I was going to ask you, because you're the college football playoff expert of the oh. two of us, I would Go say. On. What happens if you let someone like Cincinnati in and then they just get absolutely annihilated? And then how does that change the trajectory of this conversation going forward? So I I did see a lot of people on Twitter and TV saying, oh, Cincinnati at seven, which is the highest a group of five team has ever been in any ranking at any point during any season in the playoff era. So that's good for them. There's also been a lot of talk about a a group of five team getting into the playoff this year because why not this year, right? And I've always said kind of what you're saying, Aaron, which is in normal years, I would look around at group of five people that were complaining about not getting a fair shake. And I would say, be careful what you wish for. Because if you get in and you've got to play, pick a number one team in America, right? Who Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, LSU last year. Good God, LSU last year. Are you kidding me? Like you want to play that team in the first round of the playoff? So I've always said, be careful what you wish for. And this year, the cool thing, if you're a group of five fan, might be, no, no, give us a chance this year. But then if you get annihilated, you say, oh, it doesn't matter. It was a COVID year. So like, if you win the game, you're like, see, look, you finally gave us a chance. We should have won. We should have always been in the playoff. And if you lose, you're like, no, 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 it's an asterisk. So you you kind of are in like a win-win this year if you're a group of five. I still don't see somebody getting in because... Right now, you've got number four, Ohio State, and number eight, Northwestern. They're probably going to play. You've got th- two and three, Notre Dame, Clemson. They're probably going to play. You've got one and f- six, Florida and Alabama. They're going to play. So that's three teams that are going to lose. That doesn't help Cincinnati. That helps Texas A&M, in my opinion. If I'm an A&M yes. fan, I like where I'm sitting right now. So what, ha- what has to happen for one of those, for someone sitting in right now, Cincinnati spot, number seven? What has to happen for them to get in? I mean, I, I'm agreeing with you. I don't think, A, yes, you're right. If you, if you want to get in any year this year, because what you said, it's a win-win. If you don't get in this year, you want, you want the first time you get in to be a team that actually can not embarrass themselves for the trajectory of everyone beh- to come behind you um, from, that, from that group of five. So tell me what exactly would have to happen for one of those teams to pull that off in terms of win-losses of the, the top six right now. Man, um, I think Al- Alabama has to to win out number number one so that they stay at number one probably, and then they just destroy Florida and Atlanta so that eliminates right. Florida. You probably need A and M to lose a game to LSU this weekend or somewhere else. They're going to be a heavy favorite, which is just probably not going to happen. A and M's not going to lose a game, in my opinion. I actually don't know about the Clemson Notre Dame thing. If Notre Dame beats them again, then maybe because they've had two losses and it's pretty clear that Notre Dame is better then maybe Cincinnati jumps them. And you can't put Cincinnati, you can't put Clemson in as a two-loss team. If Clemson smokes Notre Dame, I don't know if Cincinnati can jump either one of them. There's not room at that point. I, I think you almost need Notre Dame to win to give Clemson two losses to sort of officially eliminate them. And then maybe you need Ohio State to lose to Northwestern. You also need Oregon probably not to be 7-0. Like, I, I don't... Right. I just don't see a path to the group, group of five. No, I don't think it's going to happen really don't. I just would say if you're, 
and we'll get to this as we talk Iron Bowl here in just a second, because I think Alabama, the more and more I watch Alabama and the more and more I study Alabama, be careful what you wish for, Cincinnati. Like, I know you want to get in, but if you get in as a four seed and you got to play Alabama, I know you're a really good defensive team and you've stopped some really good teams, UCF, SMU, Memphis. That ain't Alabama, yo. Like, Alabama's offensive line is six seven three thirty, like every everybody across the line. They got the 230-pound running back that's as big as your linebackers. Like, I just – I don't know. <laughs> I just – Alabama lay the points. It it won't be as fun when you get in that situation. It won't take you long to realize that, you know, maybe you wished on wished on that star a little too hard. I want to run something past you, see what you think. Okay. I've, I've believed that Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State are the three best teams in America, and we're going to have a champion out of those three. I gambled on each of those three to win the national championship at varying degrees and varying – points of the season I've always felt that it's pretty even between those three having watched Ohio State against Indiana and Clemson I I am and then studying Alabama more and more I don't know their defense is getting better they just shut down Kentucky with three points shut out to Mississippi State they shut out Georgia in the second half they've been dominant against Tennessee their defense is rounding into form two I think Florida will score on in Atlanta, but I don't see anyone stopping Alabama's offense I don't think Clemson can do it I don't think Ohio State can do it I think Alabama's winning the whole damn thing, and it's because culture and Nick Saban. In addition to that, I'm not trying to unnecessarily talk about COVID more because I know everyone's sick of it, but this, in addition to what a powerhouse Alabama is, stuff that people still struggling with corona outbreaks and stuff, Alabama, I haven't heard that be talked about in reference to Tuscaloosa or Alabama at all recently. Seems like, and a lot of that has to do with money and testing and all of that. It's kind of behind them. So for even though that's in the forefront of other people's mind and scheme and all of that, Alabama not only is legions above everybody else, although I will make an argument that I think there's someone that could beat them. But Okay, who? I think, honestly, you're going to think I'm crazy. I think it's Florida. I think if there's someone that can do it. I don't think you're crazy. Yeah, I mean, I know that you have faith in Florida too. I Florida's ability to... I think it's the speed with which Florida can pull ahead, like all these chunk plays and all this stuff we're seeing. Like if you, if you don't answer Florida quickly, I mean, they're up three touchdowns without you even looking. Now I'm not saying that would be the case against Alabama, but if you can't keep up with their tempo, I mean, they they just, they put points up quick and Trask's accuracy, especially with like all, you know, their game in in the air, um, their passing game. I, I don't think it will happen, but if there's someone that can do it, I would put money on Florida over Clemson or Ohio State. I, I think if Clemson was fully formed right now, I would feel more comfortable, but they're missing a lot of people. I'm with you on Florida. I, the way you beat Alabama is the way LSU did it last year. You, you've got to go 48-42 and maybe get a turnover or whatever and have Joe Burrow. <laughs> like, And right now, Florida sort of has some of that. What's, it, what's really interesting, and, and I, I haven't seen anybody draw this comparison yet, but you remember LSU last year, their defense wasn't what people thought. It wasn't all that spectacular in the first half of the season. Everyone's like, oh, LSU's defense is okay, but the offense is amazing. Can they stop anybody? Well, that's kind of the same conversation we've had about Florida this year, which is the defense, okay, eh, not really doing much. Are they getting better? The, the question is, is Alabama's defense getting better too? And so that's the – that's I, I'm with you. I think Florida can score with them. But as I've said, if Alabama wants to take the air out of the ball, in that game, not all the time, but a little bit more consistently to keep Trask off the field, I think they can do it. And I'm not sure Florida has an answer for that, but, but I'm with you. I, yeah. I think Florida can beat them. I absolutely think Florida can beat them. I just, the more I study Alabama, the more uh, you, you know that Nick Saban is keeping the pandemic out of his walls as best as possible. Like he's, he's, he's going to do everything in his power. You know, we talked to Chris Lowe a couple episodes ago where they were doing everything in their power to keep everything on the field exactly the same for all the players. And that is terrifying for everyone else in college football as Trevor Lawrence is getting caught up in Twitter scandals about games getting canceled and Ohio Justin Fields is struggling with Indiana and you know all this other A&M fans are all pissy about you know hey we're, we're better than everybody else look at us look at us Alabama's just like head down cruising through the you know like they put the earbuds in go to the grocery store pick up what they want and they get out and totally it. that should scare people they already should, but that the clarity and like the focus that they have, and there's just no fluff going on. It's going to make a difference, especially as you move into the postseason. 
So let's take a quick look at some of the scheduling changes this week that took place, mostly because you and I don't get to yell at each other about our alma maters this weekend. It's um, sad. We're going to hear from Cole Kubelik. We're going to hear from Kirk Herbstreit. And then at the end, when we come back, we'll talk. We'll do some rapid fire with some of the games coming up. We'll talk a little JT Daniels. We'll talk a little Egg Bowl, Lane Kiffin versus Mike Leach. We'll do some of that um, after you hear from Cole and Herbie. So real quickly, though, Fringe Bowl Part 1 got canceled this week, put on ice. And I think... It's not really a knock on Tennessee. It's not supposed to be. The Vanderbilt-Missouri game is going to be played instead because the Missouri-Arkansas game could not be played because Arkansas has the Rona. So they had to cancel that game. Then they they took the Tennessee and Vanderbilt game, split it up, put Vanderbilt with Missouri. So now they're going to play this week. The Tennessee-Vanderbilt game could be rescheduled for later in the year. Honestly, I'm not sure if Tennessee fans are upset about it right now because Vanderbilt is showing like mild improvement every week. Ken Seals is a solid little player. And Tennessee is like crumbling every week. So coming to Nashville, there's a lot of people looking at that money line, taking the, the Commodores to pull the upset. It does tell you that all you need to know that like Tennessee is so irrelevant that they can cancel a game with Vanderbilt so that Vanderbilt can get a game in with Missouri. Like that, that's, that's where we are. I know that's not the actual calculus, but that's the look and feel of it if you're a Tennessee fan. Yeah, and it's, it's as if, if I can remind you, been quite a few times you know, lately. So I'm not sure. I'm just not sure how much more the Vols can take. You know, Vanderbilt's been conditioned to get used to a, a loss this year, but for some reason, Tennessee losing to Vanderbilt, it hurts. It hurts you guys more to lose to Vanderbilt than it does for Vanderbilt to lose to Tennessee. And I will be sad that I can't, if Vanderbilt is to pull this upset, I will be sad that I can't sit and watch your misery in person, although we don't normally spend Thanksgiving weekend together. I'm not sure <laughs> that's something well, that's really in the cards, but if it's, if it's championship Saturday, we could do like a, we could, we could, we could hang out and watch the game on championship Saturday. Cause they could yeah, play should it we on the live. Same. Should we live stream it? Uh, that would yeah. be so scary actually. Just, just the first half for Tennessee. Cause then once the second half happens, Tennessee's coaches don't make any adjustments and Jared Garantano throws pick sixes and the team crumbles. So let's just watch the first half together and then I'll go do something else and you can I would absolutely it. never sign off on not watching it till the very, very yeah, end. I know, I know. It's worth the risk for me. Quickly before we get to our interviews, that that is one of the things I, I have decided. I, I don't think Jeremy Pruitt should be fired this year. I think that's overreaching. I'm not sure if Hugh Freeze is the answer that people think he is. I, I just don't know. He got in his school into lots of trouble <laughs> and that's why the SEC doesn't particularly want him around right now. But I do think it, that Jim Cheney has to go. Like you, you got, I didn't like the hire before. I didn't like the hire before the pandemic. I don't like the hire during the pandemic. Just like I didn't like the Will Muschamp hire. Uh, you could argue Derek Mason should have been fired last year. And so if you think he should have been fired last year, I'm okay with you thinking he should be fired this year. I don't think you should look at Vanderbilt's record this year or Tennessee's record this year and use that as the deciding factor. But I do think Tennessee has proven that Jim Cheney has been in this league for like 12 or 13 years and has rarely done anything innovative, has a boring offense that doesn't get creative and doesn't develop quarterbacks and is, doesn't make halftime adjustments. Auburn just they're, – they're off. how about this, Aaron? Their offense has scored six touchdowns since halftime of the Georgia game. The def, They've scored five touchdowns for the other team on offense. Jarek Gantano had a pick six, 100 yards for Auburn. Saw Jim that. Cheney to, Jim Cheney got to go. When you, say, <laughs> when you say that they've only scored – you said six touchdowns since – Halftime of the Georgia they, game. They've scored almost as many touchdowns on offense for the other team, five, as they have for themselves, six. That's so sad that I almost like feel bad even responding because they know it's like you when you get in trouble and you already know you did something wrong, you don't really need it to be hammered into your head. Like they, they get it. I don't yeah. need to yeah. be a horrible human about it. And now you're getting, well, that's, that's almost just said a bad word. You're just such a nice, you're such a nice person. Um, it just, you've allows, never said that to me before. Well, I'm not even sure I believed it just then, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but I, it, they, the, my issue with Tennessee fans is they were in love with Jeremy Pruitt two months ago. So you can't just change your mind because of a couple of pandemic games. I just don't think that's the right approach. And so like obsessed with him, right? Like eight game winning streak. We're winning it. We're back in the East, baby. We're back. Like, no. We try to tell y'all, but that's We've not the heard point. That before. And listen, I was a guy it's not who the did, point. I was a guy who didn't want Jeremy Pruitt. I did not like the hire. I still have questions about Philip Fulmer's ability to be an athletic director, having had zero experience doing the job before taking the job. And so I didn't but I also didn't like the Jim Cheney hire. I thought it was very unimaginative. 
uncreative, un, you know, very predictable and boring. And guess what? His offenses turned out to be exactly what we thought they were. So I think it's okay to say, I didn't like the Jim Cheney hire then. And all I've seen in two years is that he's not good enough. So I, I think you make a move there. Uh, otherwise, you know, Tennessee fans, I think you just sort of suck it up and say, you know what? It's 2020. Let's see what 2021 brings. I don't think too expensive. Yeah. And lots of, and lots of money. Hey, you just gave him an extension for crying out loud. So Cole Kubelik, Kirk Kirk Herbstreit going to join us. So we'll listen to both of them. Uh, We'll talk Iron Bowl. We'll talk college football playoff. Then we'll come back and and Aaron, you and I will, we'll hit JT Daniels. We got to talk JT Daniels and Kirby Smart. We got to talk Egg Bowl. Uh, We'll do some of that when we come back. How about that? Sound good? That sounds good. I'll also tell you about the time I met Kirk Herbstreit because it's pretty funny. Ooh, and some cool stuff happening with your alma mater as well. So we'll get to that. Yes, we got to talk about that. So stick around. A couple of really good interviews here, Aaron, first, before we do that. Cole Kublik, you're going to hear in a few minutes, just explaining what it's like to be a player waking up on Sunday morning during the Iron Bowl and, and sort of introducing Iron Bowl week to guys that he played with from around the country. They didn't know much about the Alabama-Auburn rivalry, so we'll get to some of that. He'll talk playoff in Alabama in the game as well. But first up, our conversation with the great Kirk Herbstreit. Kirk, first of all, thank you for giving us a few minutes of your time here, of course, brought to you courtesy of the Allstate Good Hands Challenge. We'll get a little bit more into that uh, moving forward. But we are at the point of the college football season where we get to hear what the committee thinks of all the teams in college football, Kirk. And I'm, I'm curious what you think about what the committee's job will be relative to numbers of games. Uh, you know, at the end of the season, when we put the whole list together and we try to pick the four best teams, do you think that number of games or other criteria should be a factor, or do you think the committee is capable of sort of kind of eliminating some of that and truly evaluating teams? Well, first, it's great to be with you. Obviously, you know, you and I talk over the years, really enjoy your work. Um, you know, man, I, I just think that this is a different year. I just think that this is not a year where you can go, well, remember back in 15, this happened, or remember in 18, this happened. I think this is, for obvious reasons, an unprecedented year uh, for, for all of us, but especially for in talking about this specific area, the committee. I don't think it's fair to, to just look, well, they need to play eight games to qualify, or this team only got to play seven, so it's not fair. I mean, I understand the logic of that, but teams like Oregon and USC and others, if the if they games end up getting uh, – you know, postponed or canceled. It's, I think the committee has to just evaluate what you see and you could say it's unfair and we can jump up and down on that all day. And I, I, if you want to go that path, more power to you. I'm just telling you subjectively how I look at it and I'm looking at it where I'm, I'm being understanding the teams are going to miss games and I'm, I'm trying to evaluate teams I don't think there's ever been more of an emphasis on week to week and the consistency of how you play than this year. I think that should always be the case, but I think the committee really needs to look at that more than ever uh, this year. And so it's not just one week. They looked really good. I think it's, it's over time. Like Northwestern's an example. Like right now they're, they're almost off the radar in the AP poll and the coaches poll. I think they're 11 and 13. And yet, man, dude, like it's not always pretty, but they're winning big games and they're beating people. And, you know, they're sitting there at five and oh. So that's an example. What do they do with Northwestern? You know, what are they going to do with BYU? Who's not playing anybody, but man, they look really good. So um, I'm, I personally am not hung up on seven games versus 11 games, but I understand other people will be. Uh, and I'll be very intrigued and interested to see how the committee, as, as weeks go by, how they, uh, as a group, how they evaluate that. Do you think we should, and I know there are conversations about this stuff kind of going on in, in behind closed doors around college football, but I've been harping on it for a while, that, that we knew this was kind of going to happen. Games were going to get canceled. It was going to be tricky to sort of finish the season in its fullest form. Do, do we think that that everyone involved should be a little bit more flexible. Maybe, maybe the title game gets moved back a week or two. And again, I'm not talking about February or March. I'm talking about one week, two weeks, so that we can try to get the wor- like the most worthy playoff teams possible and as many games played as possible. Or do you think it should stay where it is? I, I, I could kind of see both sides of that. I, I um, felt like you 
until I had a, a one-on-one conversation with Greg, with Greg uh, Sankey. And he brought up uh, having a, a finish line, which I think he's publicly said now, and, and how important it is to have a finish line. And I, and I really think there's some truth to that. I think, you know, we could sit here and push it back a week, but why not push it back two weeks? You know, why, why only one week? Um, if you wanted to tweak it a week, I, I guess I wouldn't be like, it wouldn't be the end of the world for me. But I think if the goal is to try to get more and more games, and realistically, you're trying to push it back to the end of January. And I just don't think you, people, you got to remember the NFL. I mean, it, the college football in the NFL, it's always challenging to try to find college football's spot as, as the NFL ramps up into postseason world. And it's not as easy as just, well, we'll push it back. No problem. Now all of a sudden you, you run head to head into the NFL. And so I don't know, I, like I said, I can see it both ways. Um, we got four weeks to go. If, if we're able to get, you know, the, 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 the marquee names out there, if we're able to play and, and get them another three or four games and see where we are. And, and I, I think it'd be ideal to be able to just close it down here are the four teams and here are the other teams that are, you know, going to the New Year's, uh, New Year's six bowl games and move on. That, that's where I would probably like it, but I, I can handle the, the argument on the other side, wanting to tweak it a bit. When it comes to evaluating coaches and frankly, Kirk, anybody in this players, athletic directors, I mean, you, you name it. I don't know how people in real life are, are being evaluated right now at their regular jobs. Uh, how, how, how do you see 2020 as part of the evaluation process for coaches? Because fans are not going to view a bad season by a coach any differently, but we, we all know that it's just been different since spring practice through the summer camps, practice, you know, scheduling, practicing, everything is so different. Is it fair to use 2020 as a thing to change your mind about a coach in terms of employment status? No, like, that, that, that's, that's fair. Um, South Carolina obviously wasn't impressed with COVID and the challenges. They made, a, they made a, 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 a move. I think it depends on where you are um, coming into this season. You know, Jim Harbaugh was, was you know, he, his last two games at the end of 19, he, he got blown out by Ohio State and blown out by Alabama. So he came into this season with his fan base kind of frustrated yeah. And now they are where they are. Whereas Jim, uh, James Franklin and Penn state, they've been, they've been playing really good football since he's been there. And if you really studied their, their, their uh, everything they've dealt with, with their roster, most notably Micah Parsons, you could sit there and say, well, they sh- maybe shouldn't be on five, but you could sit there and say, wow, you know, they're, they're trying to overcome a lot. I don't, I don't. So I think it's a case by case study when you look at that. I know your alma mater, uh, Jeremy Pruitt, it's interesting, you know, he gets an extension, which basically is like a pat on the back saying, hey, man, we love where we're going. We love the direction of this of the, of the program with your leadership. And man, you know, now, now things are going uh, backwards, you know, in Knoxville. So I, I don't know. I, I'll be very interested to see if people get fired. I mean, we've already seen Will Muschamp, but that was another guy that was struggling coming into this year. Be interesting to see if anybody else, as a, as a board or as, as ADs, presidents, if they feel it's fitting, considering what these coaches are dealing with, to pull the trigger and, and make moves. We, we've lived in a very strange year, uh, Kirk. And my last question here before we get to Allstate is sort of, do, do you think that there is a way or how could we try as a collective, college football fans, media, everybody involved, powers that be, is, is there a way to inject more transparency to the sport as a whole. I would love to talk to players more. The NFL does a great job of that. I think they're the, the, the stars of the show that deserve more quote unquote airtime. We certainly have stuff that goes on, you know, that, that, that happens in programs. We got the, this COVID crap. Is there a way to, you know, legislate or incorporate or inject more transparency into our sport? That's more a little bit like the NFL. I've never even heard that question or thought, but I can tell you that, Unless I, I don't know who would inject that, who would who would declare that, you know, like I, I think our sport is so different because you have, you know, you have these conference commissioners who, who report to from, you know, the, to the presidents of, of, uh, of all these schools and they make the decisions for their territory, their their contingent, their their different um, region that they're in. And so 
I don't know if you could just say across the board. I don't think the NCAA would have that kind of governing power to make that call. But I, I think the important thing is to understand what you're suggesting. And I, I don't know about you, but I find it there are certain schools that understand it better than others. There are certain schools that really do a good job of getting their their brand out there and, and they're not hiding everything and they're, they're more than willing to work with you. And then there are others in this world of social media that they're like, we'll do exactly what's asked upon us and nothing more and deal with it. So I can understand, by the way, I can, and I can understand how certain brands get that way. You get burned so many times or your players end up getting burned uh, inadvertently. What that does is it makes coaches be like, you know what? forget it all, just shut it down. And so while you guys like you and I have good intentions, I think there are a lot of people that are out there that want to expose things and have, don't necessarily have good intentions. So as a brand, you tend to want to be going to protective mode. And so that's why I think we are where we are. Um, but I, I think it would be great. You know, the NFL, they, they give you, I mean, it's like, here's what's going on. Here's our list of injuries. <laughs> yeah. Here's who's playing, here's who's not. And especially with COVID, college football, you, you get ready to call a game and you're like, oh, I guess the left tackle's out. Whoops. I mean, I'm right. talking minutes before kickoff. Oh, the tight end's out. Oh, okay. I mean, and you here this whole week you've prepped and you're thinking the guys are going to be out there. So I would I'd be in favor of that if you can come up with a way to make it happen. <laughs> I, I guess we'll just make Saban the czar and then he can like <laughs> he can just tell everybody that they have to release it. Yeah, there, that's every a guy day. who could do it. He could he could pull it off. <laughs> uh, Kirk, of course, families are, are going to be staying at home this this Thanksgiving holiday and uh, they need a new game day tradition. This is where Allstate Good Hands Challenge comes in. Tell everybody a little bit about what you're doing with them and how people uh, around the Thanksgiving dinner table should be getting involved. Now, now this is called old school fun. I mean, I, I, I'm not just saying this. I mean, when we, when we cut the promos for this, I played this all the time when I was in high school, you know, during uh, study hall. So Allstate, if you look around a lot of the stadiums of college football, you see the Allstate field goal nets all over the, all over the country. And uh, they donate uh, to the school's gen, the uh, general scholarship fund um, for every field goal that's made. So they thought, why don't we, give the, uh, the fans a chance to give back. And so you have this paper football flick and you can make a paper football. It's pretty easy. You kind of fold it and make it. Um, and then just all you gotta do is film yourself flicking uh, a paper football and see how far and how crazy of a kick you can make. <laughs> and it's between now and December 13th, uh, film yourself, send in the most impressive flick and share it uh, either on Instagram or Twitter or both. And you gotta use the hashtag good hands challenge hashtag good hands challenge and uh and then challenge somebody else i i challenge david pollock and thomas rett we're having some fun with that i think rett challenged uh, dirks bentley so make sure when you when you post your video with the hashtag good hands challenge challenge a, a friend or anybody uh out there and put their their social handle out there as well and by the way Allstate will be giving $10 for every video that's posted. So they're going to go all the way up to $150,000 that'll be donated to uh, their scholarship fund. So, so a great thing. Did you ever play, by the way? Did you ever play? Oh, are you kidding? Are you kidding? That's like, exactly. That's like, yeah, that's like every day in school from age eight to like 14. That was yes. what we were trying to do. Yeah, yeah. of course. It's old school fun. I know we got video games and everything else, but it's pretty simple. You know, have somebody film you see how far you can you can flick that football and film it and then i'm going to be actually picking some of these these crazy uh, uh flicks and put it on my social media and congratulate somebody on kind of the best the best kick of the week uh throughout the uh the next few weeks yeah i'm sure pollock's not competitive about it at all I'm oh sure. my god he's insane <laughs> <laughs> uh hashtag good hands challenge of course post your videos there social media all over the socials there instagram and twitter make sure you use that hashtag good hands challenge and I mean, listen, I'm, I'm excited just to get back to, to, to doing it and teach my four-year-old, see, see how good she is. She's probably going to kick my butt. So we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody can do it. You know, grandma can do it. Anybody <laughs> can get involved. So, and the other thing is I had fun with is there's different ways to be a holder. You know, how do you position the actual uh, paper football? Like, do you, do you go triangle? Do you hold it up on its point? Laces out, right? Like, yeah. La laces out. <laughs> laces it's got to be. But I'm, I'm telling you, there's different ways. I, I've played this game so much. It's different ways of people holding the actual paper football. And I think that you can get some serious distance if you go where it's really narrow 
kind of going end over end, like a real kick. That's, that's the way I prefer. Well, and, and you also said it doesn't have to be just distance, right? It could be creativity. So, oh, if, creativity. I went, so yeah. if I went flat with the triangle and I'm trying to hit my, my buddy in the face, which is what you did yes. when you were younger, you can yeah, right hit, the, the, forehead. Flat, hit yeah. the flat side, right? And maybe yes. slow it down, use slow-mo. Yes. You know, there you go. Yes. Yeah. If you go triangle, <laughs> that's going to give you the, that's like kicking right. a, like a, like a long driver, you know, you're kicking from yes. 50 yards, but the goal is to hit your, your friend in the forehead. It, Obviously. Uh, typically. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, hashtag good hands challenge, of course, Twitter and Instagram, Kirk Herb street. Thank you so much, man. We do appreciate it. Oh, anytime. Take care, bud. Happy Thanksgiving. All right, I want to say special thanks to Kirk Herbstreit for giving us a few minutes, of course, and we do appreciate his time. Lots of big picture stuff from him there about transparency in college football and, of course, uh, the playoff committee. He doesn't think that the number of games you play should matter, but we'll find out uh, as the season goes along. You, you though, Aaron, said you had an interesting story about Kirk Herbstreit. Yeah, I actually met Kirk, well, in a, in a large group setting a year before last because we, my team um, at Vanderbilt hosted the – SEC network conference where everyone gets together and, you know, we go through all the stuff for the year and all that. Um, and we always have cool guests or they'll bring cool people in to talk, um, to talk to us. They brought Kirk in and somehow we got on this tangent of him talking about the day Lee Corso dropped the F bomb on game day. And we were just like, howling at the SMU Houston game when he's like goes to goes to like use the megaphones like how do you not pull for SMU uh red white and blue USA and then he like can't really figure out how to use this cheer megaphone so he's like throws it and he's just like ah fuck it and then like picks up the Houston Cougar head and just sticks it on and Herbie you can always tell Herbie (laughs) his storytelling ability I swear I saw I saw that happen I remember laughing really hard Kirk telling it was six million times funnier well and he always he you can always tell when he's like it's not it's not bless your heart verbally but you can tell when Kirk puts his hand over on Lee's arm that he's doing like, like the, it's like the bless your heart, buddy. Like you're just, you're hilarious right now. Like, and it's, it's out of love. It's, it's obviously uh, out of love. No, Kirk, obviously a very good storyteller, pretty good broadcaster. So, yeah. So, it, and, and a Nashvilleian. He's been in Nashville for a long time. So. Yep. Yeah. He pushed himself away from that table at that moment. You can kind of tell he's like, you're on your own, dude. <laughs> I'm not, I'm yeah. not associating with that. All right. Well, we'll do some more JT Daniels, some Vanderbilt stories that are really cool. We got Egg Bowl stuff. We'll get to a lot of little things uh, at the end of the show. But I want you to hear this conversation with Cole Kublik of the e- of ESPN, sideline reporter, and of course, former Auburn Tiger who lived through Iron Bowl week. A lot of really fun stuff we talked about with him. Our conversation coming up next right here on Fringe Element with Cole Kublik. Cole, thanks for joining us, and, and happy Thanksgiving. Our returning champion, of course, the first returning guest on the Fringe Element Here podcast. So we do appreciate you joining us here. And you you had the the fortune of playing in an Iron Bowl rivalry as an Auburn Tiger. And I just want to – they've baked in an off week now for, for both of these teams in the last few years. I, I was back looking at sort of when you played, and you guys were playing some really good Georgia teams uh, on, the, on the Saturday before playing Alabama – I know you got a couple of wins as a player. Can you tell me and try to tell people out there after playing a really good Georgia team on Saturday, what you woke up feeling like on Sunday morning, knowing that it was Alabama week. Can you try to explain that? It's um, I think everything changes in Alabama week. And I think one thing that always helped us with that particular scenario was 20, 30% of our team being from Georgia so that week was so big for them and we recognized what the Georgia game was on its own and then it was always something extra because of those guys and then I think they recognized what it was for the guys from Alabama and just what that rivalry was as well so um, to be able to wake up an Iron Bowl week that's where everything just starts feeling better Uh, everything gets a little busier it's a very fast week you would probably think that it's a week that drags, but there just seems to always be more media. There's always Thanksgiving around it somehow, some way. I didn't, I didn't always play it on Thanksgiving week. Um, it wasn't always that way. And then 
the request from family, more people are coming to the game, more people are going to be at the game. What are you doing after the game? Where's everybody staying before the game? It's just, and especially me being from Birmingham, playing one of them in Birmingham, playing one in Tuscaloosa. We stayed in Birmingham for that one. It's just, you know, things like that only, only heighten the amount of things that have to take place over the course of the week. So at, at that point in the season, I'm, you know, you're, you're used to your body aching. You're, I mean, you're, you're in about as good a football shape as you're going to get. And the weather's obviously has cooled off. So practice isn't as bad. And, and it's just, you know what it is, you know what it means. And I always say that it was a, it was always for me, one of the cleaner games that we played every year. There wasn't a lot of extra stuff going on. It wasn't a lot. Of, I mean, yeah, there's trash talking every game, but there wasn't a lot of late hits or wasn't a lot of dirty stuff happened at the bottom of the pile. And I've always thought that that's because it, it's so important and it means so much to so many people that most guys are so laser focused. You just don't have time for that. You're not thinking about that. Cause I think a lot of that stuff sort of pre-planned. And then also you don't want to be the guy that does something dumb. Like you don't want to be the guy that gets a personal foul or a holding penalty or a late hit. And it maybe costs your team the game because now you're the guy everybody's talking about for 365 days. So <laughs> it's um, it was always just exciting. I tell you, especially early in my career at Auburn when they hadn't made any of the changes to campus and tailgating because the RVs literally start rolling in Sunday night. Yeah. And you're walking to class on Sunday and there's, there's RVs sitting right there by Haley center on your way to class. <laughs> and they're, they're pulled up in the grass, you know, Tuesday, Tuesday morning, Monday afternoon. And you're just like, man, this is incredible. I wish it was still that way, but um, obviously, you know, they, they, they figured out how to do it in a little bit of a different manner. Well, and it's funny you say it like that about the focus because it, the greatest coaches in college football are the ones that make make every game feel like the Iron Bowl, right? Like that's that's the job of a coach almost is to get every player to to sort of feel like that. What was it like for a guy that maybe was from the north? Somebody, you know, they they went and got a player from Ohio or Pennsylvania or Michigan, and I'm I'm sure you had a couple of those guys on your roster. What was the indoctrination process like? Like when when they went, oh, uh, okay, I I get it. This is different now. It, it was always fun to. I can remember a guy named Brent Mueller. He was from he was from Fairfax, Virginia. You get even some of the South Florida guys. Um, you know, you get a Texas kid, and they just don't they don't understand. And you try to tell them, you try to tell them, like I said early in my career, what the RVs are going to be like. And then Tuesday afternoon, they're like, "Dude, they got they got they got campers everywhere." We're like, "Yeah, we try to tell you." And you try to tell them what what Tiger Walk's going to be like and how it's going to take probably an extra 20, 30 minutes to get through Tiger Walk than what it normally would. And instead of being two people deep the whole way, it's going to be four and five people deep the whole way. And it's going to be compressed because there's going to be so many people. And you get through it and just seeing, seeing players' faces the first time that they went through that was just incredible. And then obviously the environment, the atmosphere in the stadium for the game, it was just always special. And so – uh, it was always fun sharing that and trying to warn people and their expectations just could never really amount to what it was going to actually be. It was always, it was always cool to see that. I, mo some guys like Rob Pate from Irwin, um, you know, Colin Sears was from Russellville. I was from Homewood. Like, we knew what that was going to be and what that was going to like Hart McGarry was from Prattville. Like you didn't have to tell him, but like Mike Pasillo was from Tampa. Like he didn't know what that was going to be like. Even Kendall Simmons was from Olive Branch, Mississippi. Like, he didn't know it was going to be like that. So, it was always cool to kind of see those guys. Yeah, that's a cool dynamic that I don't think a lot of people consider. You know, some, some kid from Florida goes and plays at Ohio State, doesn't know what Ohio State, Michigan is yeah, all no. about. You know, like, it, it's just – that's a cool dynamic psych psychologically. Um, so, it's a distracting week, and now you've got a pandemic on top of it. So, just more distractions, Thanksgiving, all this stuff. It, you know, make the case – because I'm going to ask you about Alabama in the national title here in a second, but make the case for what Auburn has to do to win the game. I think the first thing that has to take place is Daquan Newkirk, Truesdale, Big Cat, Colby Wooden, uh, TD Moultrie. That Auburn defensive line has to have by far their best game of the season. They need to be disruptive. They need to be problematic. They need to find ways to create things, uh, force issues with the Alabama offense. Can't let Najee Harris get rolling. He had a – remember, Najee had a ton of success in this game. Uh, Sark hammered 
Kevin Steele's defense with Duo uh, a run play last year. They they couldn't stop it, and especially Duo into the boundary. I remember going back and watching it. And if they don't slow that part of this game down, Sark is much more of a play action guy than an RPO guy. So you don't slow that run game down. Now the play action gets going, and and you're in trouble. Kevin has played some one high where he's trying to add some defenders to add some pressure and help with the run a little bit. And you can't do that against Alabama. So they have to rely on four or five up front to be disruptive. Hopefully maybe three at some point in time to be disruptive. If they can't do that, it's probably going to be a long day. Um, the other part, I would just say flat, plain and simple, they need Tank Bigsby. He's just that much of a difference maker. You know, I look at he and Seth Williams as kind of one and one A of probably not just what makes the offense different, but what makes that team different. And you do have a couple of guys that could maybe fill part of the void that Tank leaves behind if he's gone in DJ Williams, Sean Shivers, maybe some Bo Nix running the ball, handing the ball to Schwartz, but Seth Williams, there's no answer for. So I think you need Tank and Seth and Tank both have to have big days. You are a wonderful analyst, Cole, and I believed everything you just said. I, 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 really, I, tr I really did. I really believed it. Uh, I don't think it's possible, my opinion. Um, but that's because as I've watched Alabama grow this season, I already thought they were the best offense in America coming into the year, and now they're shutting people out on defense. Some of that's the opponents. I understand. But this Alabama team to me, and it's all about Nick Saban creating a mental bubble for this team to do what they need to do just like every other year on the field. And it's not meant to be a knock on A&M or Florida in the SEC championship game or Clemson or Ohio State or Auburn this week. I don't think anyone's stopping that offensive line. I don't think anyone's stopping them at any point from here on out. Am I crazy? No, I, I, I said in, in the Kentucky game, we were on the call for that one uh, Saturday night. And, and I, when we got into the conversation, the national picture, the postseason later in the game, I said that I, I believe that Najee Harris and that offensive line are the separator between them and everybody else. Uh, they can bludgeon you and they can do it between the tackles and they can do it consistently between the tackles. And I think when you start talking about short yardage, you start talking about red zone, you start talking about tough yards, you start talking about closing a game. Alabama has a big advantage over a lot of other teams when it comes to that. Notre Dame can do it to an extent. Notre Dame can't throw the ball the way Alabama can. Clemson can throw the ball. Florida can throw the ball the way that Alabama can. They can't punish you up front the way that Alabama can. Interestingly enough, I think just offensively, Texas A&M may be the next most balanced team to Alabama, but they don't have the guys on the perimeter in Smith and Mechie that can take over a game the way that Alabama does. And I think outside of the defensive line, which I would give A&M the advantage there, second and third level, I might give the advantage to Alabama on defense. And like you said, they've, They've sort of been ramping things up here over the last few games. Um, I think that's sort of what, what separates Alabama. And, and I think, like I said before, Sark is more of a play-action guy than an RPO guy. He still has the RPOs, but the play-action is going to be big. And if that run game's going, that just opened things up for Smith and Mechie to have more time to be able to give you double moves, to get on top of a defense. And I think Jaleel Billingsley's going to be a guy that's heavily involved down the stretch. And, you know, Sark told us Friday, he said – I strive for balance. And he said, there are a lot of things that we have not shown enough of, multiple tight end sets, two back sets. And he alluded to sort of protecting his receivers. And he didn't say that. I'm not quoting him. But he kind of alluded to, yeah, we were different when, when Waddle went down. We became different. And I think basically he believes that if they lose another one, they'll be very different. And you don't want to go there. So – I would almost anticipate them running the ball more just to protect those assets for the rest of the season. When you get to Atlanta, when you get into the playoff, then just kind of, you know, release hell on everybody once you get into that position and let it be what it is. I, I've thought for all, all season long, man, that I thought Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, they're all kind of on a tier by themselves. And and this is not just recency bias watching Indiana give Ohio State a challenge. That's not what I, I mean. I just think it's all about Alabama. The more I watch them, the more I study them, the, the more I see. They have things, as you just said, they have things that other teams don't. Um, and it's interesting you mentioned A&M. Do, do you – I've sort of believed that Florida is the better team 
this just offensively, I trust Kyle Trask far more than I trust Kellen Mond, essentially. Uh, they've got more weapons. I think, I think the offensive scheme is more diverse with the, the way Dan Mullen deploys his, his weaponry. Is, am I sort of out in left field? Because I've been taking a lot of shit from a lot of A&M people that I still think Florida's the better team. Um, is A&M the better team, in your opinion? I think a and more balanced. I think A&M can beat you in more ways. Um, you, you made it. I mean, it's a, it's a fair point to say that you, you trust Kyle Trask more than you do Kellen Mond, but I trust the A&M rushing attack more than I do Florida's rushing attack. And Florida yeah. does a great job of, of distributing the ball, moving it around. Uh, they run the ball through the air a lot. And that makes them more difficult to defend. I think Dan is calling plays at a higher level this year than I've seen him in a while. A lot of that has to do with confidence in your quarterback, what your quarterback can handle, when your quarterback gets the ball out, how accurate he is, the understanding that he has, with the ability to change things just before the snap or after the snap. So that all plays into it. But, you know, I look at it from the perspective of A&M has the best loss in the nation. And outside of Notre Dame has probably the next best win in the nation by knocking off Florida. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm a resume guy, and I don't think it's end-all, be-all. I think it should be an all-encompassing recipe for who you decide as your best, the top four, most deserving, whatever. I feel like that definition changes every year. Whichever one's most convenient is the one that I feel like we go with year to year. I, I think they're all the same, actually. Like, I think, they're all, I think all of those words mean the same thing to me. They who do can. I think they, who do I think's yeah, they best, can. you know? yeah. But, and and I, I guess that, I mean, that's, that's why we wanted this committee, right? Because they're yeah. human beings. So we wanted your personal opinion. And we didn't want a computer spitting out numbers saying, you know, here, give you the, you know, transformer sound, R2-D2, and all of a sudden here comes a sheet of paper and it says <laughs> Cincinnati is the second best team in the nation. We didn't want that. So now it's funny sometimes that we fight it. And it's just it's weird to me to see people get so angry how could they think this or say that it's like we asked for this yep you know it's kind of like old miss and mississippi state fans like you're not playing great defense you're not you know it's, <laughs> you you guys had it you both had it set up pretty good you asked for this man like <laughs> you wanted to be excited you wanted a ton of yards you're you're getting it you're you're 500 or, or below 500 like Enjoy it, I guess, yeah. because this is what you asked for. Um, I, I, I just, I think that for what you just said, if we're talking about the difference between Alabama, Notre Dame, Notre Dame, and Ohio State, Ohio State, Alabama, that's fine. But if we're debating Notre Dame, Clemson, or a and Florida, I think that debate's been settled. And I really don't care when it happened. Okay. It, can, it can definitely, there's a scale of when it happened, but... I saw that team beat that team. And yes, Florida looks like a much better team, but I mean, I just, the last time I saw A&M, they just ran through South Carolina. I know South Carolina is not great, but they handle their business the way that they're supposed to. And they, they're actually getting better too. So. I, I, I sure would love to see A&M Florida or A&M Bama again. I would love to see it. I think I it would be, too. I think it would be great theater. Cole, happy Thanksgiving, man. Best of the family. Thank you so much for joining us. We do appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Special thanks to Cole Kublik for joining us here, of course, on Iron Bowl. Our returning champion, by the way, Aaron, the first two-time guest on Fringe Element, the first guy ever to return as a guest. And I thought, nobody better. The guy can talk ball with the best of them, played in the Iron Bowl. Nobody better than, than Cole to talk uh, about college football during Iron Bowl week, for sure. He'll likely be the, the last returning guest, I'm sure. I feel like you scare him off. Thank you for that. Vote of confidence. I don't know. I just like felt like being mean to you right then. I'm sorry. It just came out. I'm over it though. It's, 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 it's what I do to people. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it is, but sometimes I just have like this like, yeah. weird, un, like just undescribable need to just be mean to you. Yep. I, I think you and my wife would get along great. Um, all I right. Like her. Let's do some rapid fire real quickly. JT Daniels finally gets into the game for Georgia, throws for over 400 yards the first time in like a decade that Georgia's offense has done this. JT Daniels, after the game, is answering questions, basically saying, no, I was cleared after the Arkansas game. I was ready to go. Some of the reports are that he wasn't all that good in practice. That's sort of what the coaching staff is saying. 
I'm not, I'm not sure who to believe or what I believe. I don't really care anymore. All I know is that I know that JT Daniels is an extraordinary talent. I don't know how healthy his knee was. I don't know what the decision was based on. If you're Kirby smart, I don't know who did what or said what I just know JT Daniels is an exceptional talent. And in his first game with Georgia, he threw for 400 yards. <laughs> That's all I know. It's even more confusing now that he's spoken about it. And it's like, yeah, I was cleared, which I mean, we knew that information, but I think we all thought there was maybe something else we didn't know. I don't even feel like not performing in practice is really enough of an explanation to me because we know how freaking good he is. So I just feel like there's some best kept secret in the world that I still don't know because I cannot wrap my head around this. I'm with you and Georgia fans, I think that are angry about the conversations that maybe Kirby didn't handle it correctly. I think they're directing their anger in the wrong direction. Like I think they're, I think they're projecting you, you had him on your team. If he was medically cleared, why did you tell us that he was medically cleared? If he wasn't medically cleared, then don't tell us that don't clear him. And then you can say, Oh, look, he's not healthy yet. He's on the bench. You know what I mean? This is such an anomaly to me. I just, I truly do not understand it. And I, as a coach, you have to imagine that you want to win. So if you're worried about his playing ability, why didn't you why didn't you take out Setson Bennett at some point when he wasn't performing in the first half and just try it out? I don't right. know. Look, I thought I said in April that I thought JT Daniels was better than Jamie Newman and that JT Daniels should be the starting quarterback at Georgia. I, I don't know how healthy he was. Nobody does. We don't. And then Newman opts out. So I'm not suggesting that everything was like set up perfectly for Kirby to do the right thing here. But, you know, there, there clearly is a guy that has so much ability, way more ability than Stetson Bennett on the team, and maybe he would have given you a better chance to win against Florida or Alabama. I don't know if he was healthy or not. I don't know. I don't know what he saw in practice. It's just going to be one of those weird storylines that, t- that ties into the pandemic, Aaron. You know, maybe, be- JT, maybe JT Daniels wasn't performing in practice, so putting him in the game was a risk, but I would venture to say that not trying him out until now was a greater risk because you kept yourself out of what could have been a playoff situation, I think, by not taking that risk earlier. Unless, again, there's something I don't know. Yeah. Any concern for Florida, Kentucky? Of course, Kentucky, the team that injured Felipe Franks, which has given all of the world Kyle Trask to see. So I I don't know. Kentucky didn't put up much of a fight against Alabama last week. Florida's defense isn't as good, but I I don't know. This is more just like, all right, Florida, handle your business here. Yeah, I don't think Kentucky's offense works well enough to even begin to put up a real fight. I mean, I think there are some things Kentucky's doing well on defense, but I just don't – I don't see them controlling the tempo or anything about the game enough or putting up enough points to even give the Gators a real run for their money. I think this will be a check on – might not be – no win in the SEC is easy, but it this shouldn't pose much of a problem. Yeah, the, the, the halfway decent Kentucky defense that I agree with you on gave up 63 points last week. And uh, they had like 170 yeah. yards total. Like, yeah, it's bad. It, so. Yeah, it's not good. It's Texas, not A&M, Texas A&M, LSU, obviously big implications if A&M can't win. I, I don't know why that would happen, though. This feels – I can't believe this feels like Kentucky and Florida. And you just heard Cole talk about how, you know, A&M is getting better. They're more balanced. He thinks they're better than Florida. They saw the game happen, of course, which A&M won. You know, that A&M team is, is dangerous right now. This is one of those, again, just prove it that you belong and at number five in the rankings. And I don't know what to make of LSU. Like, they're just – they don't have enough pieces right now. I mean, what I – watching LSU this past week, and there's like a couple of, like, glimpses of – I mean, not really hope for this year, but more, you know, hope for Finley. I felt like he was, you know, pretty calm in the pocket. It felt like he had more time to – you know, see the field and do what he wanted to do. Um, Maybe some of that has to do with the, I mean, I guess the O-line's performing a little bit better. He just seems to have a little bit more time, but those are like future glimpses of hope. They're not glimpses of hope for Saturday. Texas A&M is just doing so many things so well, including like Kellen Mond isn't the flashiest player. He's not going to be as fun to watch as Kyle Trask, but he's not really making a lot of mistakes. They're holding onto the ball. They're converting on third down. They're just like doing all the stuff they need to do. And it's, you know, it, it might not be the, the Kyle show or, you know, all the bells and whistles of Florida, but um, it's going to be enough to beat LSU. Yeah. I mean, that's what Cole just talked about. They, they have, they're more balanced. They can run between tackles better than Florida can. And I think that that makes them a little bit more upset proof, you, you know, if, if, the, if that's mm-hmm. the right word. 
Uh, and I think this is obviously an upset opportunity, but I, I don't see it happening. I think A&M continues to roll unless of course, old A&M shows up and, you know, all of a sudden we see, you know, Kevin Sumlin and Nick Starkle. I, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't see that happening. Um, Egg Bowl. I, I just, I wanted to, we're going to finish on a really good fun, potentially fun story for Vanderbilt, but Egg Bowl to me, it's almost like all of the best and all of the worst things about college football all like wrapped into one one game because you get a guy, you know, literally getting a personal foul penalty for fake peeing like a dog in the end zone to win a game that actually cost not only your team the game, but also your coach his job. And so uh, that's the kind of thing that can happen in this game. But also if they were 0-11, if they were both 0-11 and they played each other, I would watch every second of it because it does not matter where the game is played, how good the teams are, who's coaching, which is even better now because neither of these teams can play a lick of defense. And it's what, as Cole just said, it's what you wanted, Ole Miss and, and, and Mississippi State fans. You went and got Lane Kiffin and Mike Leach. You're not hiring those guys to coach defense. And so we could have like 65-62 football game. Like, I can't wait for this game. It's always fun to watch. And let me just say, you know, I always talk about being able to control your emotions, like discipline, like – you know, that's what leads to winning. I will say though, if you're, if you're going to do something stupid, at least make it funny because the Missouri, the, the fight just earlier this season, just, just made me mad. Like at least like do something funny like this. It's so costly, but like, if you're going to do something stupid, like pee like a dog instead of punching someone in the helmet. I guess that's I mean, I'm, no, I'm not, I'm not, ser- I'm not really being serious, but like how much more entertaining this is. So like, bad you, move. so you think be, do, doing the Randy Moss move where you score a touchdown to win the game and then like fake, pull your pants down and fake, take a dump in the end zone. And then like fake, fake, wipe your ass on the goalpost is probably not, you, you would actually rather see that or <laughs> than a fight or, or what? See, that one sounds worse to me for some reason. <laughs> but um, that happened to my I mean, Green, I think Green they're Packers, both the ridiculous. I think they're absolutely both ridiculous. I'm not promoting them. But for some reason, when I like every time I think about that, I, I, it makes me laugh. And punching people in the helmet doesn't. So stupid, it's, though. It's fair, but you, the bar is pretty low on both of them, I would say. Oh, I mean, I think your take is valid, scraping though. Scraping the ground low. Yeah, yeah. Your take is valid. I would rather see someone do something mildly funny and maybe a little not classy, but mildly funny than to just punch somebody in the a helmet, which still totally is the, trashy, not the, classy, but like whatever. The, yeah. But it's the dumbest thing. Egg bowl. Yeah, exactly. It's so good. It's so good. All right. Lastly on the show, end on a high note here as we head off into Thanksgiving vacation, uh, Vanderbilt, Missouri, what should people be watching for in this matchup, Aaron? Maybe a special guest appearance on special teams. Vanderbilt totally plagued with COVID. Um, Lots of issues with that. But Mace apparently, I don't know how this whole conversation started, but Sarah Fuller, who is the starting goalkeeper for Vanderbilt women's soccer. Who just won the SEC championship, right? Just won the SEC championship. They came back from Orange Beach. None of them had gone home yet, which I'm – I have a feeling that was just an extra solidifying factor in all of this, but she got fitted for pads on Monday. Um, I talked to one of the soccer assistant coaches, got fitted for pads and went out and walked, didn't take a snap in practice, I guess yesterday or the day before, but wasn't full pads um, with walking through it with coaches and may or may not take a snap at Missouri on Saturday. We don't know yet. Mason said he's literally weighing out all their options. And if she's the best option, then that's who's going to go, which would be huge. She'd be the first female to ever take a snap power five in a power five conference game. So it's pretty freaking awesome. She does. The girl does not lack confidence. I'll say that I've spent (laughs) plenty of time with her. If there's anyone that could like, you know, have the backbone to do it, it would be her. Well, and, and speaking of both soccer and kicking, like I'm assuming huge leg, of course, but I was watching Nashville SC's playoff match with my four year old. And we sat down to watch the game and, and Nashville SC's nickname is the boys in gold. And she asked me, she looks at me and she goes, is purple hair playing in this game? Her, she had two questions. First question was, is purple hair, which is Megan Rapino, of course. She wants mm-hmm. Megan Rapino. She wants to watch Megan Rapino. She loves purple. And, Don't and, we all? And she watched the World Cup with me when, when, when our girls won the World Cup. But I keep saying like, oh, the boys in gold, the boys in gold. And she was like, are there any girls, dad? 
<laughs> well, maybe like, if y'all watch the game on Saturday, you can say yes. Yeah, and I think that's really that would be really cool. That would be so amazing to see that in a really positive story to end a really awful season of, of football potentially. I know it's not the end yet, but like it would just be a great story to sort of twist the the bad narratives that we've seen so much. And uh and basically I had to tell her, like, I was like, actually Megan Rapino's too good for MLS soccer. I just want to let you know, like, she's a cheat code and she's not allowed to play with these boys because she's better than all of them. Like, Spoken like a true girl dad, and I love you for that. And <laughs> this would be, it would be so freaking cool. I, I got the chills when I was heard I about it. I saw a notification pop up on my phone and I'm like, what? Well, so. a great way to end the show. Keep an eye on that. Potentially the first w- woman ever to take a snap in a power five football game. Let's hope it happens. Let's hope it's the best option so that Derek Mason can be like, no, this is, this is why we did it. We tried to win the game. I think that's great. I hope it happens. There you go. I know. I know we we try to we try to say neutral, but I I will be in a Sarah Fuller jersey next week if she gets into this game on Saturday. I I think it's totally acceptable and I love it. Aaron, happy Thanksgiving. Have a great time. Socially distanced fringe element here. Uh, we do appreciate everyone out there for listening. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. Mine's Aaron Dugan. You can follow me on Twitter at the Aaron Dugan or Instagram if you prefer. Everybody out there, be safe, be smart, wear a mask, stay socially distanced, drink a lot, eat a lot, watch a lot of football, and rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Thank you all for listening. This has been The Fringe Element on the 440 Sports Network.